and we'll be looking particularly at verses 5 to 7. Last time um, we looked at the temptations in general, but also particularly the first one, temptation to turn stones into bread after Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. And we saw that Jesus lived a vicarious life. He, he, he lived the life we failed to live. He lived for us and he died for us. He was vulnerable. He really felt the force of that temptation. He was hungry. I mean, that's an understatement, surely, isn't it? He felt the force of that temptation. He knows what it is to, to be weak, um, like we do. But he was victorious. Whereas in 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites failed and failed and failed. Jesus tested in, in the wilderness. He was victorious, 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 and continued to be so throughout the whole of his life. And that victory is granted to us as we belong to him and are in him, safe in the Lord Jesus. Well, now we move on to the second temptation, verses 5 to 7. And whereas the first one was subtle and secret and easily excused, this second one is public, would, would be public if he fell to it, and blatant. It was to, to, to do, a, as it were, a triple somersault off the high board in Jerusalem when there's no swimming pool underneath. It would be to, to jump off the high point, a high point of the temple in the capital city. Uh, crowds and crowds of people, no doubt, around. Uh, in the belief that angels would catch him and rescue him. And massive publicity stunt at the beginning of his public life. Um, so the first one was kind of, uh, if you are the son of God, exploited. And the second one is, if you are the son of God, flaunted. Let everybody see. Get off to a big start. Make a big impression at the beginning. Now whether it was literally in Jerusalem, physically there, or in the imagination... I'm not really sure. It reads as if it was physically there. But most temptations are in the mind, aren't they, anyway? So I don't know that it really makes a huge amount of difference in practice to the impact of this, because the battles are really in our minds, aren't they, when it comes to temptation, how we think, how we react, what we choose to do. Um, but let's... So let's leave that aside, but let's um, think, first of all, I want two main points, really, but lots of little bits in between. First of all, be thankful for the real Jesus. That he was humble, and he was approachable, and that he was not a showman. Um, you know, he wasn't the kind of person good for a selfie, you know. Uh, good, good for a selfie with him if you can get anywhere near him. But actually you can't get anywhere near him because he's such a big, such a big showman. Um, but thank God that he is humble. And you can get close to him. And you can get alongside him. And he will get alongside you. Thank God for the real 
Jesus, that he came to serve, to, 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 to serve and not to be served. In fact, um, angels did come to minister to him, and we can see that in verse 11, but that was in the privacy of an isolation of the desert, not in some great big public display, not as a sort of a brilliant celestial parachute catching him as he, as he drifts down from the high point of the temple in, in Jerusalem. Um, the real Jesus was, was humble. And that's, that's really important. It was important to the people then that ordinary people could approach him. Not just the high flyers, not just the successful people, not just the people who could barge everybody else out of the way to get alongside this, this great star. And, and it's important to us. Um, because even though now he is enthroned in glory and he is surrounded by angels... He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it means that we can get alongside him too. And in our times of need, which are pretty much all the time, uh, we can speak with him and know that he cares uh, and listens and responds. So let's be thankful and let's be bold in our approach to him. But what really is at stake, I think at the heart of this temptation is, is not so much is he going to get off to a, you know, a blazing start draw, draw crowds um, but I think what's really at stake at the heart of this and particularly when we think about the way Jesus answered it is um, a temptation concerning his faith, his faith in God and in God's word his faith in God, his Father. It's, it's a matter of how, how he exercised that faith makes all the difference to the way he lived. Um, because when you do a... Has anybody here done a bungee jump, by the way? Do they have bungee jumps at Hindley? No? Um, well, you've got, well, you've got a gallery, you know. No, I'm not suggesting it. But... Or a parachute? Anybody done a parachute jump? No? Boring lot. <laughs> oh, you, you have? Oh. Of the two, I've never, I haven't done either, but of the two, I think I'd choose a parachute jump because it lasts longer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell me afterwards. <laughs> but, but both are an act of faith, aren't they? Let's take, let's take the bungee jump. You know, you're, you believe, you've got to believe that that elastic band is strong enough, haven't you? Know that, that it's going to hold your weight and not snap um, and you've got to trust the person who harnesses you up and encourages you to to jump um, likewise a parachute really well if Jesus was to do what he was tempted to do here it would be an act of extraordinary faith wouldn't it um, and Jesus you see had just quoted the Bible in his defence after the, first, after the first temptation. So you can see how the kind of the thought process flows, can't you? Oh, so you believe the Bible, do you? What about this bit? Do you believe this bit? Psalm 91, as we call it. Do you believe that bit? How about these verses? How much do you believe those? You believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? You just said it. Well, what about this bit? 
He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Do you believe that bit? Proof. Proof. Now Jesus' faith did exercise enormous, extraordinary faith during his uh, ministry of life on earth, didn't he? Same as we have to exercise faith. He sets a great example. But Jesus' faith in his mission, in, during his mission on earth was not in order to preserve himself from pain, but in order to be able to face pain and overcome it for us. That he could die and rise again. That he could lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins and his father would raise him up again. He had to believe that, didn't he? You know? Far, far bigger. Far, far bigger thing than jumping off the top of the temples, massive as that would be, was walking to the cross. Physical death, but would he be plunged into hell for eternity? Never to never to come out. Could he believe that he, if he kept up his part of this great mission to save his people, that his father would keep his part of the bargain too? Part of it, that part of the well, not bargain, but the arrangement. That he could die and be raised again that he could carry our sins in his body as if they were his own and deal with them so completely that he could live again forever? Did he believe that? That although on the cross, and he must have known this would happen, he would end up crying out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? As he was burdened with our sin that actually then subsequently he could say you'll be with me this day in paradise and Father into your hands I commend my spirit one who would abandon him would actually receive him that took faith didn't it? enormous faith to go through that and believe that he would be rejected but then received because he would completely deal with our sin on the cross. Rejected because of our sin. Received because of his righteousness. That's faith. That's extraordinary faith. That his atoning work would be finished. Faith to fulfil his calling. Now maybe something like this temptation recurred when he was arrested. And it was like not climbing up the final few steps to the top of the temple to jump but arrested the final few steps before the nails would be hammered through his hands and feet and he said this when he was arrested he said this to Peter you remember he chopped off the man's ear he said put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father 
and he will provide me with more than 12 legions, that could be 72,000, 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So maybe something like this temptation recur. Look, I could call on angels now to rescue me, to pluck me out of this, take me away. But I won't. I won't. Because it has to happen thus. I have to go through with this. I have to fulfil my calling. Now that is extraordinary faith and dedication, isn't it? He faced it in the second temptation in the wilderness. He must have faced it several times over after that and at the point of his arrest we've just read. He could have been preserved from death but he chose not to be. Now aren't you glad Jesus didn't jump? Aren't you glad that he didn't jump? But he exercised that faith rather in going to the cross for sinful people like us. He did not put God to the test by going off-piste, as it were, or going off-script, but by trusting God as he fulfilled his calling. Let us be thankful for the real Jesus. He wasn't a showman. He didn't come just to attract crowds of adulation, but he came with faith to live a hard life and die desperately hard death for us, believing that his mission will be successful. So be thankful for the real Jesus, the humble, serving, faithful Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, be thoughtful about your own temptations. Let's think about wrong ways to react to that temptation. See where we fit in. Wrong ways to react to the temptation to jump off the temple. Wrong reaction number one is unbelief. And I think probably most of us would actually say something like this if we, had been tempt- if we were tempted in that situation. Thank God we aren't. Oh, don't be stupid. No one would ever do that, or even, and I hope no one would say this, but no one actually believes that. That if I fell off the top of the temple, angels would come and catch me and rescue me. Nobody believes that. So I'm certainly not going to jump. Search your heart. Search your heart. How would you have reacted in that situation? It could be the reaction either of a complete unbeliever, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in angels, or it could be a genuine believer who actually lives like an unbeliever in practical experience. Or the atheist, of the, of the complete unbeliever, might well think like this. Oh, it's, that's just stupid. No, no one would do that. I'm too sensible to do that. And I don't believe in God anyway. 
I don't believe in angels. Anyway, why would I ever want to th- do that? I never would. I, I, I know how to look after myself. I know, I know the sensible things to do and sensible things not to do. I live, a, I live a good life. I care for myself. I'm resourceful. I'm successful. Um, I know how to be careful about the way I live. No, it's, it's just forget it. Rubbish. Stupid. Stupid idea. No one would ever do that. I wouldn't. If you think that way, time will tell that none of us can actually survive life like that. I don't need God. None of us can actually live that. In fact, none of us do live like that. Because God actually is looking after every one of us all the time. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked and the good. We can't even experiment with this idea. We can't even say, I'll try to live without God. Because he is there. I'll try to breathe without God. I'll try to think without God. I'll try to eat and sleep without God. You can't even experiment with that. It's like trying to say, I'll try living without air. Well, I suppose you could try that underwater but you can't get away from God you can't try that experiment because all the time God is looking after us every single one of us all the time we are absolutely dependent upon him and we can't get away from that we might not believe in him but we can't escape from him he is there he is here he is watching over us all the time or it could be a Christian who does believe in God, does believe in angels, does believe the Bible, but actually lives in fear all the time. Lives as if they were an unbeliever all the time. With symptoms of prayerlessness. Not committing our situations, our needs and those of others to God in prayer. Because don't really think about that very much. Never actually stepping out in faith. I don't mean stepping out off the top of the temple. I mean ne- never stepping out in anything in faith. Just because you believe God. Never going outside their comfort zone. Where they feel they're in control of everything. Never giving sacrificially. All sorts of symptoms of a Christian believer who lives as if they're not a believer. And we just dismiss this temptation as being absolutely stupid. Well, it is absolutely stupid, but... Yeah, maybe that's me. Now, I think some of us struggle more with this, with this problem. Because we are actually given to anxiety. And so for us, it is a much bigger problem to walk in faith with God, resting in his care and his provision and his protection, moment by moment, day by day. And I say that not because it means that we're bigger sinners, but we struggle with a stronger temptation not to trust in God. And so actually, a person who does is given to anxiety but manages to live a reasonable life, is walking in tremendous victory because they're fighting battles that 
most other people don't even think about. Because just ordinary living is so much more difficult. So fraught with what if that most of us don't even consider. For some of us, these, these, these battles are much, much bigger. You know, the person who would not ever go near the a high point, come what may. <laughs> um, not because of a lack of faith, but by fear of just, just, woo, you know, vertigo or fear of heights or whatever it might be. Um, this not, doesn't necessarily mean that that person has less faith, but just have bigger battles. Next Sunday, um, I'm preaching, it's a uh, coronation Sunday, and I'm, uh, I'm preaching on one of my favourite verses. <clears throat> um, Luke 12:32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, I, I love that. I love that. I just think that says so much about Jesus. Uh, and it says so much about us. Don't fear. God has given you kingdom so what are you worrying about seek his kingdom first anyway um, but then there's the opposite extreme of another bad way to react to that and that, this is recklessness <clears throat> I, I, <laughs> the sort of person who say yeah I'm up for that let's have some fun lead on you know the high, make sure it's the very highest point I want to make the most of this I, I suspect none of us are in that <laughs> I don't know, am I wrong? Anybody feel like that? Recklessness. Taking, taking the promise completely out of context. You know, he'll give his angels charge over you in their hands. They'll bear you up unless you dash your foot against the stone. I'm, I'm, I want some of this. I want to have a go. Uh, this, that never was an invitation to be reckless. Never was. It was a reassurance for those who might slip. Um, it's not an invitation to be carefree. There's a difference between being carefree and being free of care, isn't there? Hmm. Carefree is reckless. Free of care is resting. Resting in God. We are to be careful, but not full of cares. Not careless, but have less care. Less cares. Fewer cares, actually. Kate and I um, were away for a few days last, last week and we went for a long walk and on the one sunny day we had um, and ended up on a clifftop walk and there were a group, there's a group of about 30 teenagers in this walk and there were about three adults with them and we got to this really treacherous kind of clifftop point and, and uh, Kate and I said to each other, I'm glad I'm not one of those teachers <laughs> looking after looking after those children. Eh? Teachers seem fairly blasé about it, but I thought, ah, oh, we'd be ca- I'd be counting them all the time, and you know, just keep away from the edge, and you know, don't even talk, don't move, just sit down. Um, and uh, but um, actually, they were very well behaved, really, um, and they did sit down after a while. They sort of you know, they took their photographs and whatever, and they just sat down and they were safe. How different it would have been if they were a group of 30 toddlers. <laughs> the staffing, staffing ratio would be much higher. <laughs> and each one would be on a set of reins. <laughs> and, uh, because 
you do learn something between being a toddler and being a teenager, don't you? Just a little bit. You do learn a little bit. Or you're supposed to, anyway. You learn a little bit between being a toddler and a teenager. And um, we are to learn, as we grow up as Christians, that God calls us to not just to believe in him, but he calls us to walk sensibly with him and not to put him to the test. Not to put him to the test. If it's, if, if it's his will that we suffer, it will be for our good. But we should not be foolish, but faithful. So watch out for people who misuse the Bible, like the devil did here. Take a promise from the Bible and twist it, make it what it never meant to, was never meant to be. Watch out for that. There's loads of that going on. Really loads of it going on. And just don't abuse God's promises. I'll come on to that in a minute. Well, I'll come on to it straight away now, actually, to save time. Um... I think one of the ways that we so easily kind of do something very much like this, recklessness, is when it comes to sinning and being forgiven. Translate this from, I can jump off this cliff because the angels will catch me, into, I can commit this sin because God will forgive me. How many of us commit that? fall into that temptation how many times a day do we fall into that or even perhaps slightly more subtly I don't know I don't know whether this is, it would be sinful or not and I don't really want to find out because I want to do it anyway and if it is God will forgive me so I won't bother trying to find out I won't think it through Psalm 91 the promise of Psalm 91 was not there to encourage people to be stupid but to reassure people who might slip the promises of forgiveness in God's word, which are abundant, are not there. Uh, are there to encourage us not to be willfully wicked, but to reassure us when we slip morally, and let us not distort those promises and say it doesn't matter if I sin, because God will forgive me anyway. What an abuse of God's love that is! There is a third and middle position. The position of demanding a sign. And I think that's perhaps where we get the nearest to what was going on here. I do believe, but I need God to prove it to me. Um, Jesus overcame this temptation by quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. It is written again, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. That's how Jesus responded to it. Six weeks previous to this, uh, the voice of heaven had said, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Such love. Such love. How could Jesus then go on to abuse that love by taking his father to ransom and saying, okay, I'm going to jump, you catch me. Or you send angels to catch me. He could not possibly do that, could he? How could he think of doing that? holding his father to ransom, who's just said, this is my son whom I love. I do not need to test the father's love or his faithfulness. I know it. I know it. I believe it. I trust it. And Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 goes on to say, as you tested him at Massa, which means testing. And that was a very significant event, one of those occasions in the wilderness where the people um, tested God, said, we want water, we want water. And water was brought for them to, from the rock. So if you find it, refer to it. Exodus in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, Psalm 95, and Hebrews 4. 
a very significant event. Those last two is accompanied by don't, don't harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. In Exodus 17, when this actually happened, verses 1 to 7, the people were demanding water and Moses <coughs> struck the rock. And verse 7 says this, So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? We don't know whether he is until we see a sign. We want miraculous water. Then we'll believe he is with us. They put the Lord to the test by demanding a sign, as if to say to God, show yourself. Show yourself. They put the Lord to the test. And the temptation to us is to demand a sign, rather than just believing God's word, just trusting in God himself. And for us it can be like that. I will not follow Jesus unless God gives me a sign. I need something to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to put this before. I will believe in you if you'll do this. I'll follow Jesus if this, happens, if this happens. I'll believe if I have some extraordinary emotional experience. You know, or there's a thunderclap or whatever you might choose to, to name. Do not put the Lord to the test. The promises are there. Uh, they are explicit, they are clear, they are, they are uh, you know, un- undeniable. Uh, there are all the, all the miracles, the signs have already been given in Jesus' life, in Jesus' miracles, in Jesus' relationship with people, in his death, in his resurrection, in ascension to, into heaven, in the Acts of the Apostles, where uh, through those who his first followers were accredited by further <coughs> miraculous events. All the signs have been given. What we need to do is to respond to the, what, what has already been done, already been said. And not put God to the test and say, I won't believe in you unless, unless you do this or that or whatever it might be. I think that's really what's at the heart of this. Do not demand a sign before you believe. Don't wait for a voice in your head or a voice out loud from the clouds before you will believe. Believe the promises and accept the invitations of the Bible to turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved. So be thankful for the real Jesus. Though now surrounded by thousands of angels, he is still approachable. He wasn't a stuntman. He wasn't just trying to live the life of a celebrity. He came humbly to get alongside people and rescue them. He trusted in God and went to death for us. That's where his faith was demonstrated so clearly. He died for us, knowing he would rise again, knowing he would be successful, knowing that the Father loved him because he was laying down his life for his sheep. And he would be brought through that to resurrection and ascension and glory. Don't demand a sign before you will believe in Jesus. And don't abuse the promises of God I can sin because God will forgive me anyway. What a, how, how can we do that? How do we do that? The voice from heaven had said, my beloved son, what has God said over us? What has God done for us? Jesus died for us. How could Jesus abuse his father's love 
How can we abuse Jesus' dying love for us and say, it doesn't matter. I can do what I like because God will forgive me anyway. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not harden our hearts against God's love. And the way we live, the way we face temptation, the way we walk with him day by day, the way we fight against sins in our lives, not harden our hearts, respond with faith, with gratitude, with humility. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, for such a glorious, wonderful person, Jesus Thank you that he was that he was not that showman. Thank you that he was so full of faith and determination to serve that rather than call upon angels to rescue him, he went to the cross <coughs> to die for us. Thank you for your faithfulness to your promises to him. Thank you for your faithfulness to your promise to us. Oh Lord, please stop us from hardening our hearts, saying we don't want you, we don't need you, or we demand signs. Keep us from hardening our hearts to say we don't care, we will trample over Jesus to do what we want, because you'll forgive us anyway. Oh Lord, soften our hearts, melt our hearts, draw us in living faith and real repentance.